Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week, we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's essay is Seasons of the Cross by Billy Sprague, who is an award-winning songwriter, recording artist, and author of Letter to a Grieving Heart. He holds a BA in English from Texas Christian University. Billy, his wife Kelly, and their family live in Florida, where he serves as the worship pastor at Edgewater Alliance Church. With that, let's start the essay, Seasons of the Cross, by Billy Sprague. For a long time, I have thought it is one of the greatest ironies that we celebrate Christmas in winter and Easter in spring. The Christ child, the ultimate sign of life, arrived in the season of death. The cross, the most universal symbol of death, is planted in the season of life. And both of them seem absurd. God became a baby? And man killed God? How can the infinite God fit inside a little baby? I witnessed the birth of my two children and held them as they cried out in glorious protest. My heart is not big enough to hold that miracle, just as my arms are not big enough to hold God. And how can man, in the highest act of arrogance, think that he can kill the eternal God? Neither is possible, unless God is willing to be born, then to live and laugh, hunger, eat, thirst, drink, suffer, and die. I became a follower of Christ in the spring of my life as a teenager. On an Easter Sunday, I answered yes to the questions Reverend Jones asked, then held my breath as he pushed me under the water and pulled me out. I didn't know much. I knew I was not going to live here forever, and I hoped in a life after this one. I believed and got soaking wet in that symbol of death and rebirth because of that hope. Now, as a more experienced sinner, I still believe, but understand better that the cost of that hope was the cross. The first hope made me need Christ. Cross made me love him. I'm still a follower because of the cross, because of God's willingness, driven by a fierce love, to face what I have to face and to make amends for my wrongs with his rightness? That kind of irony is spelled G-R-A-C-E. In the early summer of my life, I co-wrote a song that would keep me connected to the cross 
all my life. It's called Via Dolorosa, which means the way of suffering or sorrow. It describes the scene that day when Jesus carried the cross through the streets of Jerusalem to Golgotha for his own execution. To my complete surprise, it became for many people a powerful portrayal of the willing sacrifice Christ made. I have never stood on the Via Dolorosa, but friends tell me when they walked it, they heard people humming my song. I still sing it often and always on Good Friday, either alone to myself or in an Easter service somewhere. More irony, what happened on Good Friday was good for me eternally, but so dark and terrible for Christ. I am now somewhere deep in the summer of my life. Fall is ahead and winter. The cross always reminds me of my first Easter as a believer. It reminds me of the Lord's day of agony in Jerusalem. And it reminds me, and I hope it tells the world, that winter is not permanent, that it is not the season of death, but of dormant life, and that spring, though not eternal in itself, is a revival of hope, a transition from death back to life. The cross was created as an instrument of scorn by a world whose greatest fear is also its cruelest weapon. But in the hands of a greater power, it became for me and millions not the ultimate symbol of death or even life beyond death. It became a focal point of the great love behind life itself. And it continues to be a marker in my own life and in the history of the world of God's willingness to die so that we who would nail him to the cross no longer need to fear death. To face it, yes, but knowing death is not the last act on the last page of our stories. And with the freedom of that hope, life in all seasons becomes more glorious. What may be irony to me is profound symmetry to a God whose ways are not like ours. We see death as permanent and life as temporary. But God knows that death is temporary and life is eternal. And so, how perfect that at Christmas the greatest signs of life cries out in winter, and at Easter the more Universal reminder of mortality stands silent and leafless in all seasons, still sparking resurrection. That ends the essay, The Season of the Cross, by Billy Sprague, and submitted and included in the book, What the Cross Means to Me. Now, there is a poem accompanying this essay from Samuel Rutherford, which reads, The Cross of Christ is the sweetest burden that I ever bore. It is such a burden as wings are to a bird or sails to a ship to carry me forward to my harbor. And the image accompanying this essay is entitled The Millennium. Is an image of a cross covering the lower half and middle part of the image with a deep mix of blue, gray, and white clouds filling the background. The image was shot soon after sunrise, the inspiration of its name because it was shot on January 1st, 2000, the first day of the new millennium. The location is the middle location, meaning the place that the school moved the cross to before they completed the school and moved the cross to its current site at the north end of their football field. This essay has to be the most unexpected in that he shares what the cross means to him through the analogy of the seasonal nature of the gospel, especially the dichotomy of seasons or times of the year, the time when Jesus was born and the time of year when he died. 
in that Jesus was born during the long, dark, and cold winter season, and then he died during the season of rebirth. Billy then veers into a dichotomy over in left field, but it's a good one, and again, it's an unexpected transition of the gospel contrast into a completely different one I didn't expect. He brings up the divergent concepts of God becoming a baby and man killing God. Yes, it does seem absurd, unless, as Billy alludes, God willed it, meaning God chose to become a man and God allowed himself to be sacrificed. Billy speculates that God chose to experience the human condition to live, love, laugh, sweat, feel pain, hunger, thirsting, drinking, sleeping, resting, suffering, grieving, and yes, the feeling of abandonment from the Trinity when he died. Now that is empathy. And knowing that he went through all of that to have empathy for us provides hope. Hope for us all that we can have eternal life with the Trinity in heaven. And a hope that is free for those who believe in Jesus and ask for forgiveness. A hope that has meant a lot to Billy as a young Christian. And as Billy became, as he put it, a more seasoned sinner, he realized that there's an actual cost attached to the hope, which is the cross itself. The sinner's prayer and the baptism was born out of a need for Jesus, but a true and mature understanding of the cross inspires deep love for Jesus. It compels, it compelled Billy to make amends for his wrong, or at least accept God's willingness, which Billy referred to as being spelled grace. And as Billy became even a more seasoned sinner, one could say a veteran sinner, Entering the winter of his life, the hope of the cross is that winter is not permanent. I like how he shares that winter is a time of dormancy and hibernation, and that spring is a transition back to new life. This was my epiphany that I had involving my wife when she passed. Yes, she passed from this dimension to another, but because she accepted the sacrifice Jesus made for her on the cross, she never really died. Why my body is still here in this time and space. My spirit is already with her in heaven. Remember, we discussed these gospel truths in the episode called Infinity at Its Best, episode 15. And I like how Billy states this yet another dichotomy, that the cross is perceived as the ultimate symbol of death, but for those who have meditated deeply on it, the cross is the focal point for the great love behind life itself. And an understanding that removes any reason to fear death, knowing that to be absent in this life is to be present with Jesus. But more than an assurance of eternal life in heaven, this truth in the here and now transcends the human nature of how to respond to the cares of life. As Billy put it, this hope helps make our life, through all the seasons of our life, glorious, joyful, and more abundant. Now, Jesus, yes, was, was born and brought into new life to humanity in the darkest and coldest time of the year. And I do understand what Billy was trying to say, especially when he comments on the death of Jesus happening during the spring days of Passover. But if I have to be honest, I've never focused on the death part. I've always been excited about the new life aspect of the resurrection and how new life comes from death in one of two ways. One, from dormancy or hibernation to the phase of awakening and growth. We see this in animals like bears or the bulbs of a lily. The other way is actual death and then decomposition when the thing that dies becomes food for the roots of plants that may bear fruit providing substance for growth, creatures, and seeds for propagation of its species. And the direction of these thoughts found me pondering the lessons of seasons of and in nature. 
lessons we can learn from, but also what correlation might there be to the seasons of the spiritual dimension of our humanity. Seasons that we may not be able to, and I suspect should not try to avoid or attempt to overcome or get around. For example, if you are tired, should you not hibernate? If you are tired, should you not sleep? This is a daily cycle, and those who try to avoid this can become unhealthy rather quickly. So let's explore the annual cycles of our spiritual life with its four distinct cycles. But before we do, let's let's take a quick step back to the 10,000-foot view and focus what I say are the seasons of our, why I say the seasons of our life should not be avoided. In the episode I just referred to, number 15, Infinity at its Best, we we discussed how everything that we can see, perceive, or understand about reality in our universe is built on waves. What is a wave? Well, it's a noun and a verb, the latter being my question, what action is it making? Another applicable name of a wave is a cycle. The wave travels up to one polarity and then down to another polarity and back up to the other polarity and back down to the other polarity, over and over and over again. This action of passing up to a positive polarity and down to the negative polarity is found at the subatomic level, as well as in the largest galaxies in the universe. And the point is, in our day, <clears throat> in our day-to-day existence, life can be full of good and bad at the same time. Just like a wave needs both, meaning all electromagnetic energy needs both positive and negative to exist and to function. And as we will learn in this devotional, the seasons of nature in our lives need, and each season requires, a good spectrum of good and bad dichotomies to create true balance. Fractally, this helps me understand the phrase, so above, so below, or as above, so below. But the point is that everything in our reality, from the microscopic to the macroscopic, is built on waves, or as I said, cycles. And everything is built on and or affected by cycles and the duality of polarity, the continual path of the wave between positive and negative. And thus, from our human experience, we experience dark and light, tired and rested, cold and hot, hungry and full, happy and sad, hard and soft, like ice or fluidity. And these are polarities of the moment, but some are tied to a daily cycle, like sleeping at the end of the day, and others are more tied to an annual cycle, meaning the annual trip of our planet around our sun. There are things our sun cycle around, but as I, I said all that to set the table around the concept of that annual trip around our sun, which for the most part has four distinct seasons. And since these cycles affect everything on earth, then it means it is not only affects the physical aspects of who we are, but more importantly, the spiritual aspects of who we are, who we really are. So to do so, let's drift from physics to scripture. And under the perspective of its unavoidability, we should let the paradox lead us to an acceptance instead of trying to find ways around the inevitable. In Genesis 8.22, we read, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God has initiated various eternal principles regarding time. And the wise King Solomon observed these precepts in his description of the cycles of life as found in the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what was planted time to kill, and a time to heal, 
a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to give away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. These principles apply to every living creature on this planet. Some aspects are easy to see, and others are more subtle, or more almost impossible to see. And for a while, I thought maybe I was the only one crazy enough to shoot the same object at the same location throughout the seasons. Fortunately, because I really like it, I like his work, I found another artist with a body of work about one object. It is a majestic oak tree shot by Mark Hirsch. The tree is in Iowa, and you can dramatically see all four seasons through his collection. The tree never changes, but the environment and climate around it radically change depending on the part of year and what season Matt captured it. But getting back to today's devotional, let's start with spring. One reason is that many cultures around the world and across the millennia begin their calendar year with the spring equinox. Many people groups, like the Hebrews, consider the spring equinox as their New Year's Day. It is a time of year that the warmer temperatures melt the snow and eventually heat up the ground in related microclimates. The animals, insects, and microbes begin to awake from their hibernation, and the seeds begin to germinate and sprout. Trees, other than evergreens, that had just been a trunk and sticks, begin to sprout leaves out of nowhere and eventually begin to bloom flowers that will become fruit in the summer. And the majority of the summer is a lesson in abundance as flora and fauna flourish and food and fullness abound. But before you know it, the hot temps begin to have its effect on the availability of water and thus the plants and trees start the process of propagation, pushing out whatever mechanism of seed packaging and as much as it can. And yes, the plant either goes dormant or dies, but leaving its prodigy in the seeds. Eventually the heat conquers the tree leaves and they begin to change color and become brittle. As the temps drop, the leaves slowly drop all around the base of the tree, leaving a layer of carpet of leaves. This layer of leaves provide an insulation of warmth, protecting the roots from the cold snap to come. And as the first freeze approaches, the instinct of many of God's creatures intuitively look for a safe spate to hibernate. For those creatures that don't hibernate, like, like the bear, um, that time from first freeze, snowstorms, and all the way through to a, just a bit after the spring equinox is a severe lesson of survival. For many weeks, the diet of a deer, for example, will consist of eating tree bark, if they can find or reach it. Some creatures just don't make it through the winter and become subsistence for other creatures also on the brink of starvation. Under the snow, all these leaves covering and insulating the roots are slowly but surely decomposing. Eventually, the silence of winter is broken by the thaw of spring and everything wakes up again. And the pattern of new life is replicated with cycles within cycles. Months like February and March show us that those leaves that have decomposed into the soil are now food for the roots as the tree is awakened, needing nutrition to generate new leaves on all its branches. And just as the tree is full of leaves and possibly blooms, the winds of April begin its process of naturally pruning off the weakest branches. 
And those branches with leaves, again, make a canopy of debris that become food and habitat for a myriad of creatures. And it, too, slowly decomposes and enriches the soil. Now, this is a very rudimentary description of the season in a typical northern hemisphere forest. And there are so many aspects of the seasons I am leaving out. The aspects I called out where intentional have some analogous application to our spiritual life. Every Christian will experience four different seasons in their walk with God. Each season presents its own set of benefits and challenges. Our ability to determine which season we are in at all times will require an acute sharpness of spirit. But rest assured, sharpness of spirit is a worthy goal. Again, let's start in spring. The spring is warmer and has more daylight hours. And a time for planting new seeds because the ground temperature gets warm enough for germination. Everywhere we turn, we see the emergence of new life and the blooming flowers and the different shades of green in the tree branches, growing grass, leaves, and bushes. The experiential season of spring is characterized by a greater sense of God's activity in our lives, His right hand. New seeds of truth are planted in our minds and watered and cultivated through intimacy with Him. The season holds within it great hope. Hope that the planted seeds will eventually manifest into an abundant harvest. The temperatures of summer can range from very warm to unbearably hot. Much attention is given to the growing plants through watering, pulling weeds, and keeping bugs and animals from destroying them. On the upside, the experiential season of summer symbolizes rapid growth, where we are so energized by what the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit has planted in our hearts and minds and that we want to share with everyone. On the downside, we can become overzealous and get too many irons in the fire. It is important to realize that just because we see a need doesn't mean God is calling us to meet it. Awareness does not necessarily constitute action on our part. Take time to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance. God is an expert at weeding out unnecessary distractions that may keep us from expressing the fullness of His fruit in our lives. In the part of the world where I live, the cooler temperatures of autumn bring refreshing relief from the dog days of summer. Up until the 16th century, harvest was the term used to refer to this season. And I find it fascinating that the majestic hues of the colors on the trees signify their maturity. The experiential season of autumn represents the abundant manifestation of the fruit of, our, of God's spirit being expressed through our lives. This is a joyous season because... This fruit is not the result of our works, our trying hard to be more loving, joyful, peaceful, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. It is the delectable, authentic fruit of shared intimacy with Jesus. Now, the winter season is cold. It has fewer sunlight, fewer daylight hours, and is a time when many plants and trees are dormant. Although they may appear lifeless, their dormancy is actually part of their growth cycle. On the downside, the experiential season of winter is characterized by very little sense of God's love, presence, and activity in our lives, his left hands, and sometimes during the season it seems as if he has taken a permanent vacation. The upside to this bleak and barren season is that it creates a hunger to experience God's presence and will cause us to seek him to meet our needs. As Jesus details in the parable of the sower, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But the sun came up, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell. Other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced the crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And for the little plant that actually does take, there are seasons to its development. The first is the seedling phase, the little two-leaf sprout, which is very vulnerable to a variety of scenarios it could die by, as we read in the parable. The human equivalent would be the infant and toddler phase. The next would be when the seedling grows taller with maybe four to eight leaves. It is more hardy, but still vulnerable. The human equivalent would be, say, from five to twelve The third phase is when the plant has multiple branches and starts to grow flowers. The human equivalent is the transition through and past adolescence and puberty. The last phase is when the flowers produce fruit and seeds. The human equivalent is when they start to have offspring in the parenting phase. And the spiritual equivalent to that human equivalent, to me, is the same. When someone is born again, they are babies. They can't digest meaty biblical concepts, but need spiritual truths like spiritual milk. Eventually, a new Christian, through prayer and Bible reading, can move into the ability to digest deeper theological constructs. And the next phase of maturity is moving on from a focus on themselves, to being able to empathize and able to, to consider the needs of others as more than their own. And the last phase is when a new believer has grown to the point of being able to bring others through the process of becoming a Christian. The point with all I am sharing is to allow is for you to allow the seasons that you are in right now to run its full course. Our God is good. He is a good God, and it is always his intention to bless you despite the phase in life you are living through. Hard times will bring forth good character if you allow God to perform his perfect will in your life. Do not attempt to avoid this. Learn to trust in God, to really, truly trust in God, no matter which season you find yourself in always looking to god to provide your needs and not your own efforts just as the day is balanced out by the night the seasons you must walk through are designed by god to keep your life balanced paul's understanding of these precepts are evident in his letter to the philippian church when he declared i have learned in whatsoever state i am in therefore to be content i know how to be abased i know how to abound Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. What is your source of power? If it is not Christ, the seasons of your life can be and will become unbearable. Don't carry your own burdens. They are far too heavy. Hand them over to the Lord. Learn to trust in God's promises and Christ's power to give you strength. By submitting yourself to God, you can trust Him to bring you through every trial and circumstance and to exalt you in due time. 1 Peter 5.6 If you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate what He did for you, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to heal the painful parts of your mind, body, and soul. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and life today. And with that, go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace.
Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed in this week's essay, the image called The Millennium, along with other versperations, then check out Magic Cross on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn more about how to fundraise the Magic Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the cross through my blog, then log on to magicross.com. That is M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S dot com.